Surviving Bob Jones University of Christian Cults is a thought-provoking podcast series that delves deeply into the history of Bob Jones University, the psychology of fundamentalism, the criteria for cults, and survivors' experiences. BJU is a controversial religious institution, and this podcast sheds light on the experiences of those who have survived this high-control environment. Please subscribe to stay updated on the premiere of this podcast, which is coming in 2023. Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm so happy to welcome back my very good friend, Dr. Carrie Daniel. I think it's been almost exactly a year, hasn't it, Carrie, that we talked last time? I think it was. It is. And then actually, this is a yearly thing because we're here to talk about your upcoming conference on death, grief, and belief that was, I think it was last July you held it, and it's coming up just a couple of months, isn't it? It's July 8th and 9th. It's online. Last year, it was live, and you were a presenter, Clint, but you yes. were live. Because true. you weren't in Portland. I wish that you had. Oh, man. I so wish I could have made the trip. But I think I was teaching at this college over here in the, this country, in the UK. And we finished like the day before my last learners left. And I just physically could not make it to Portland. Otherwise, I would have so loved to be there in person. We've never actually met in person. But turns out you live in my old hometown near Portland. So there's, there's a great connection there. Someday we will have that pint and set the world to rights. One of these days, you will come to Portland or I will come to Wales, but yes. we will not exit this lifetime without that. That's right. That's right. We will make <laughs> this happen somehow. We will do it. So you've got this conference coming up again. I've, like I said, I love being a part of it. It's unfortunate. Last year, there was a lot of people that didn't come, I think, because they were still kind of freaked out about COVID. You were trying to have it at a hotel, and okay. I seem to remember you had some logistical issues around that. Oh, there's always logistical issues about, you know, this started out as a live conference that I did for 12 years and then COVID. So I moved it online. It was a different kind of conference then. And uh, this was the first last year, the first live one I tried to do since COVID. And yeah, it didn't have the numbers that I wanted because of COVID. But I also realized that, you know what? I'm done with live conferences. It's so much work and it's so expensive to have something like that in a hotel because at my conferences, I feed everybody, you know, oh, lunch nice. and dinner is included with the pit ticket price. Most conferences don't do that. Yeah, you're on your own, aren't you? Yeah. And hotel meals are ridiculous. You know, a bowl of soup is $18 and, wow. um, you know, and I basically pay for that out of the, the ticket sales. But and, you know, we, we do okay financially. We don't make a lot of money, but we come out a little bit ahead. But I can't do it anymore. I'm too old. You know, just, <laughs> I'm just going to do it online from now on. Yeah, I would think so. That's one, I guess you could say, positive thing about COVID, isn't it? It, it clearly demonstrated that we can do, we can work from home. We can do these things online. But now a lot of work, you know, they want us to go back to work and be in the office and all that. So. I don't know if we've learned anything, but you sound like you've learned something. It's a lot easier to do it online, isn't it? 
it's easier and cheaper. I mean, the profit margin is so yeah. much bigger when you don't have to spend $60,000 on hotel meals and hotel room and AV. You know, I mean, if yeah, you have all the office, infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, just, just the video and the audio and they charge so much money for it. You know, like a projector to project mm -hmm. a PowerPoint is $600 a day. You know, that's so. crazy. Ridiculous. Yeah. So absolutely no reason you could do it all on Zoom. I'm glad to hear. Now, who's going to be some of the speakers this year? Because I've seen some of your information that's come out advertised in the conference. Who are your sort of keynote Who speakers? we have this year? Okay, so we have this year a couple people coming back from last year. We have Jamie Edie, who is a wonderful woman. She is got a doctor of ministry degree, just like I do. And she teaches about toxic theology, mm. specifically in the black church. Wow. And so, and so toxic theology in the black church is a really big theme with a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now, because, you know, what we call in America, the black church is probably the most religious demographic group that we have. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you ever saw, um, oh my gosh, I cannot remember his name, but he had a movie called Contradiction, A Question of Faith. It's oh, on Amazon Prime. All oh, right. Street. That's why I don't have Prime. I'm too cheap to pay for Prime. Oh. I've got Netflix, but not Prime. No, it's definitely on Prime. And I, I'm so sorry I'm blanking on his name. Um, a wonderful film where he's interviewing black churchgoers all over America. And he's saying things to them like, what's more important to you, the blood of your ancestors or the blood of Jesus? And they say the blood of Jesus. Wow. And and so they're like so bought in to the religion that was fed to their ancestors as slaves, which basically give you a white Jesus and a white God and a dominant, you know, religious structure in which we are sheep and we are weak. And it's, you know, it was all by design the way the slaves were indoctrinated mm -hmm. into Christianity. So that's what Jamie talks about. She's wonderful. And we have David Lukoff, who is a psychologist. He pioneered something really important in psychology, which is for your listeners who are familiar with the DSM, the Diagnostic mm -hmm. and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. He managed to get in there a diagnosis called spiritual or religious problem. Mm -hmm. And what that means is if you're a psychologist and you have a client who's got various kinds of psychological issues, whatever they happen to be, you cannot ignore their religious history and their religious orientation, how they grew up, what they were indoctrinated with as children, what they believe now is absolutely enmeshed with somebody's psychological profile. And forever, for the longest time, just really until Lukoff came along, psychology would not touch theology, would not touch religion. Mm -hmm. it, it just... You just don't go there. It's a sacred cow. So here you are trying to diagnose people with, you know, depression and social anxiety and whatever stuff they have without even considering their spiritual orientation or belief system or whatever kind of stuff they were raised with about you're a sinner, you're evil, you're going to be punished for having certain thoughts and having certain behaviors, no matter what you do. You'll never be okay in God's eyes. God is this mean, evil, sadistic, abusive parent watching over you. This stuff messes up people's heads. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have to tell you that. Yeah. So, so, You're basically um, telling my story, Terry. I, I know. And <laughs> I'm so, like, yeah, how do you know all this stuff about me? 
And so what David Lukoff did is he actually got this put into the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual so that psychologists are now encouraged to recognize that. That is, it sounds like a step toward recognizing religious trauma syndrome. I don't think that's in the DSM, is it? But this is something that's like on the way to getting religious trauma syndrome, isn't it? It's exactly. And I know that that's being worked on. I guess Marlene Winnell is kind of Mm -hmm. spearheading that. And so, yes, this is a step in that direction because religious trauma syndrome is a real thing for sure. Oh, absolutely. Then we have a guy, uh, his name's Harold Smith, lovely man. And I love his topic. It's how the prosperity gospel causes pain for bereaved Christians. Oh, man. I'm going to love to hear that one. Yeah, well, you (laughs) That sounds amazing. I'll send you the recording. Oh, Uh, wow. You know, because this is the conference on death, grief, and belief. And what we're talking about is how these toxic beliefs impact your experience of loss and trauma and grief. And so Harold is saying that this prosperity gospel of, you know, if you're right with God, you'll have all these wonderful Mm -hmm. benefits. And then, you know, uh, something tragic happens, you know, you're 22 years old and your wife dies of cancer or your child dies or some horrible thing or, you know, a kid gets shot at school. And if you believe in this prosperity gospel, what's going to happen is you're going to beat yourself up. I'm unworthy. God hates me. Mm-hmm. You know, what Harold says, I'm reading this off his website, prosperity theology espouses a theodicy, which insists that God wants every believer to be wealthy, healthy, and to live long lives. 17% of American evangelicals embrace this theology, and grievers in prosperity-focused congregations may be shamed or rebuked for their pain as a sign they weren't faithful enough. So if you oh, show yeah. pain because your child died, you know, God is giving you everything. You shouldn't question it. You know, there's a reason for this. There's a prosperity in there because who knows what the thinking is. Now that your child is gone, you'll have more time to work and make more money. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, that, yeah, that's the dark side of that theology because I can remember I went to a Christian high school in the Seattle area and I had a good friend of mine. This was back in the early 1980s. And he was part of Casey Treat's church, which is still a big concern in Seattle. It's a mega church. He's a mega well-known prosperity preacher in in the Seattle area. And his mother was dying of cancer. And Casey Treat went and visited his mother in the hospital and basically said the reason she didn't, she ended up dying, like you said, she died of cancer. And Casey's answer was, well, the reason she didn't, didn't get healed was she either had unconfessed sin in her life or she didn't have enough faith. And so on the one hand, she died. She went to the grave, racking her brains, praying and crying out to God, what is the sin that I have that I don't know about, that I, you know, that I'm being punished for this. And that's like you say, the dark side of the theology. And then my friend, he kind of lost his faith for several years over this issue because he thought, how could my mom was a righteous woman? You know, that doesn't that explanation doesn't hold water. And so, you know, it, there's the example of how this can be such a toxic theology. Yeah, and that's a good a good segue into what we're going to talk about a little bit later mm-hmm. about about prayer, and yeah, and that's where you see it all the time, is in people dealing with sickness and death and loss, which is exactly why we have the conference on death, grief, and belief, and so the rest of our speakers are also talking about you know how toxic theology impacts the grief process. Pesach Eisen, I think you may know him from Janice's first conference, from Janice mm-hmm. Selby's conference on toxic theology. 
he talks a conference about, on religious trauma. Yeah. Conference, yeah. And religious trauma. Uh, is she doing that again this year or did she already? I don't know. She normally does it like early spring. So she may have actually yeah. done it already. Yeah. We missed it. Uh, so he's talking about, you know, toxic theology and Judaism. And then we have uh, Mandisa Thomas. You may know who she is. She was the head of Black Atheists. And she's talking about secularizing Ameri uh, secularizing African-American death and grief practices, because, again, very steeped in traditional Christian theology and so on. And a few other people. But those are the ones, you know, uh, Reverend David, David Hayward. I think you know him. Oh, yes. And the naked pastor. He's a good friend of mine. Pastor. Yeah. And we also have Dave Warnock. Oh, yes. Dying out loud. He's another good friend of mine. Yeah. He's been so... on, both of them have been on the show a num number of times. Yeah, all the usual suspects. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> a lot of us ex-pastors out there. Yeah, it's yeah. true. That's good to know you've got got these guys on there. Well, this is my question. Why is it so acutely seen around death and grief? Because those are the two big ones, and it's suffering. What is it with that religious context? You know, because I can remember as an evangelical, one of the big questions always that people were asking me when I was a pastor, what is this answer to why is God allowing suffering? In my life, you know, suffering, death, we want someone sick or dying. You know, and these are hard questions for any religion to answer, I think. It was hard for me as a pastor to try and answer those questions. It's unanswerable. It really is. Yeah, because actually. God, that's not what God is, because there is no God like that. Right? Mm. So, you know, and, and I work in hospice. I am a hospice chaplain, non-religious. There is such thing. Chaplains are supposed to be religiously neutral, so it doesn't matter if you're a Catholic priest or a Buddhist monk. If you're a chaplain, when you walk into that patient's room, you are blank. That's how it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. Not all chaplains are like that, unfortunately. And when people ask me that, you know, why would a loving God let this happen? I always go back to, well, let's let's start with what do you think God is? Mm. You know, and if you think God is this loving parent and you you buy all that doctrinal crap about this thing called God, this entity is being loves you, which is just a anthropomorphized, humanized mm -hmm. idea of this. Yeah. Image. And has a wonderful plan for your life. Has a wonderful plan for your life and loves you and cares about you. If you think that, then you're always going to be disappointed in what this God hands out to you. Mm. Because yeah. it shouldn't work that way. Suffering. It shouldn't work that way. It yeah. doesn't work that way. Well, that's part of why I ended up deconstructing when I was doing my doctoral program over here. I was studying the Old Testament book of Ezekiel in the Hebrew Bible, and I realized that, you know, the character Ezekiel, it was real problematic for me because he was here was a guy who was a prophet in exile in Babylon. He was doing everything God told him to do, which was insane. Some of the stuff that, if you just read the text for historical narrative, he was so obedient. He did everything God told him to do. And then at one point, God says to him, oh, um, tomorrow I'm going to kill your wife, and you're not allowed to grieve, Ezekiel. It's an object lesson to your fellow exiles. And that struck me. I thought, what the hell? What what kind of a God is this? If this is the God of the Bible, he just killed Ezekiel's wife and said, you're not allowed to grieve. And when people ask you, what, why aren't you grieving? Because your wife just died. You say, well, this is an object lesson and this is what's going to happen to you. And, you know, and I thought, I can't in good conscience serve that God, you know, that that, like you said, doesn't fit the paradigm of this loving God that I was raised to believe in. Right. And it's the same as the story of Job. Yeah, yeah. Job's another problematic text for sure. It's really problematic. And <laughs> yeah. it, it's basically, it's the same story. Yeah. And and so what people take out of that is 
don't be human. Don't feel human mm. feelings. You know, God wants you to be this impossible non-human thing. And then when you go into, you know, the Christian Bible, and we've got the Jesus story. I was just on Mother's Day yesterday. It was Mother's Day yesterday. I was hearing some podcasts talking about mothers. And it's like, in the Christian world, the standard held for women, unspoken, is you should be like Mary, which means you should be a virgin and have a baby. Yeah, it's sure. like, nobody can do that. It's so impossible. It's just, it's impossible. And so like all these things are impossible. And this God, you know, th that was created by people who made this whole thing up, basically coped with the question of suffering by making up a God who gives us an impossible bar to meet. And because we can never meet it, that's why we're always suffering. So there's the answer. You're suffering because you're imperfect and flawed and you'll never get there, which is just mm -hmm. the dumbest explanation for suffering in the world. Yeah. And the thing is, is when I was an evangelical, what I realized was that God always gets off the hook. In the ev evangelical Christian world, God is never culpable for bringing suffering. And even if he does, like you say, the example of Job or Ezekiel, some of these other ones, clearly it's God behind it. If you just read the narrative, he's the one engineering this whole thing, orchestrating the whole thing, watching his, his, his you know, people suffer down there, not lifting a finger to help them. He's still doing it for some inscrutable reason. You can never get a good answer. And even Job, he doesn't get an answer, does he? He gets slapped down. It's never, why Job has happening? no answer. There's no, like, he no... never gets an answer. But of course, yeah. at the end, he's given double everything back. So it's all good. You know, he gets blessed twice as much. He gets two, twice as many kids and, you know, a better house and a better. This. You think, what? That's I not satisfactory, is it? Does he get his old wife back from the dead or does he she get never left? Wife? She didn't die, I don't think. She just wanted him to curse God and die, but she was there oh, the whole died. time. Oh, yeah, I think she was. He, she was. She was. Aside from him, she was the only one that didn't die. All of his kids were were killed. He lost did he all get of his new children. Kids or did he get? The yeah, he got back? twice as many kids and twice oh. as much possessions, and he was blessed and wealthy and came out the other side. You know, everything's great now. And there's the prosperity gospel right there. Yeah. Right. So if you're like Job, you'll even get, if you suffer. Yeah. The you'll and don't question, don't question God. Mm. you'll get twice as much stuff. Yeah. There it is in a nutshell. So the ending is problematic. But of course, you as a chaplain, you're on the sharp end of the stick. I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but you see people, I guess, daily that are in this situation, religious people who are maybe facing the end of their lives. They know they've got terminal cancer or whatever. It's gonna, their, their days are numbered. What are they doing in terms of their own religious worldview that's causing them to struggle with this whole issue? Well, because I'm in Portland, Oregon, and it's not terribly religious here, I don't get a lot of people, you know, probably more mm. than half of my people are not really religious, which is a great relief to me. <laughs> yeah. But the ones who are, they're, you know, they do buy the book, the standard stuff. They, people are praying for them. The Catholics want Eucharist and last rites. So I saw a patient yesterday who's in memory care, you know, kind of basically drooling in a wheelchair, mm. unable to communicate. A lot of them are like that. And I spoke with his closest family member just to check in and let her know how he was doing. And she said, well, you know, as long as he's okay with his relationship with Jesus, as long as he knows that he's okay with Jesus, you know, he's not afraid, he's going to be fine. And that's probably true. He probably sits there he in his wheelchair. Is. 
thinking yeah. about like, well, I'm okay with Jesus, so I guess this is okay. I wish I could hurry up and die now because this is not fun. No, it's no no quality of life, is it? Yeah, I mean that's what I see almost every day, mm. and that's a whole other conversation about the medical establishment and the oncologists yeah. and all of that. But I'm really glad you brought up God gets off the hook, mm. which is another big topic of mine. And I have a really good article about this that I'd love to send to people. If maybe you could put a link yeah, on put your a link in the notes. Yeah, yeah. And I learned this from Jamie Eady, who's the one talking about toxic theology in the black church. She talked about this at our conference last year, and it blew my mind because I never thought of it before. So in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, God is doing all this sadistic, horrible stuff, you know, mm -hmm. be, you know, wiping people out with a flood and the stuff. Yeah. He does Genocide. Yeah. And just like, you know, destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and just you know, there's so many you can't even name it you know having a bear come out of the forest and ripping little children apart yeah for I mean, mocking a prophet yeah just like one after the other he's constantly doing this you know so and wipe out the world and all of this including even in up to and through Jesus right yeah and in these scenarios oh and the killing of the firstborns yeah, right in, Egypt. in both the old and new testament testament mm -hmm. this happens twice and in all of these traumas that the people on the ground are experiencing, their grief and pain is never acknowledged. So when you read the story of the slaughter of the innocents in Exodus, it's like, okay, all the children were dead, the firstborn sons and the rivers were running with blood and all the crops died. And it never says anything like, and the mothers were screaming and crying, holding their dead babies, and the crops were dead and the people starved. And the culture was ruined. And how did these people recover? And what did they do to, you know, to deal with their mm -hmm. pain? Nothing. Zip. Not a word about their grief response. And you can mm -hmm. read every single trauma story in the Bible. And the only grief response you'll see is some particular ritual that they did, like they tore their clothes or they lit a candle or whatever mm -hmm. they're supposed to do. So, so Jamie brings that out, that because people who are so steeped in the Bible are indoctrinated to think that God can do this terrible stuff to humanity and never apologize, never heal them, never do anything to create restoration or anything, that therefore that kind of violent behavior is acceptable mm. because God does it, so why can't we? Right, he gets away with it. He gets away with it, so yeah, don't take away our AR-15s. I guess there's nothing so wrong with a guy going into a school and murdering children with an assault rifle because God did it. Well, and the thoughts and prayers are offered up after it's over. So yes. Yes. thoughts and prayers are going to make it okay, you know, which clearly isn't working. I mean, how many mass shootings has America had now? Almost 200. By more, the last than, more than one per day. Yeah. More than there have been days since in January, yeah. you know. So there's a there's a huge trauma going on nationwide in America and the rest of the world. I mean, I'm over here in the UK and people just can't believe how, how people could live day to day through through that kind of trauma. I mean, look at the kids that are traumatized just going to school, practicing active shooter drills. There's a whole generation of kids growing up that maybe never will have an active shooter, but they've still got that trauma on their minds. So this is all part of the culture, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not changing because America is run by Christian nationalists. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's not going to change. And I really think at the root of this, 
of this allowing this kind of violence to exist is some kind of biblical seed of mm-hmm. philosophy that God thinks this is okay because God makes everything happen, right? So God allows this because look what God's done in the past, you know, mm-hmm. to to the people. So I guess God's doing this. We can't question God. He must know what he's doing. Well, like you mentioned earlier, talking about slavery in the black church. I mean, I'm doing a lot of work right now on this whole Christian defense of slavery. So that's part of the story, isn't it? That yeah. you've got all the way back in the 19th century and maybe before Christian theologians, pastors defending the practice of Southern slave owning from the Bible. And it was all justified and justifiable from the scriptures, you know? So that's part of our collective history as well, isn't it? Yeah. I, you know, the good news is it's starting to fade away. So, I hope so. You know, I really kind of, do. I mean, statistically, you know, the Pew Research studies and everything are showing that, you know, attachment to this kind of theology is dropping off. But I just saw another thing the other day that said, if you're measuring the drop off, like it used to be 70% and now it's 20%, that's showing in the conservative states, which is great. So that Mm -hmm. religious adherence is dropping off. And it's not dropping off so much in places like Oregon and New York because it wasn't that high to begin with. It wasn't a lot of religiosity there. So, you know, people are walking away from it. Thanks to people like you and people like me and I hope so on your show and at my conference. But of course, living in Portland, I was there for about 13 years before we moved over here to the UK. And I can remember, you know, going to Bible college and seminary there. And we were always saying this is a great place to be as a Christian, as an evangelical, because Portland's one of the least church cities in America. So we're on the mission field, Terry. You know, we're (laughs) we're spreading the gospel. What better place to be? I don't want to be in the Bible Belt. I want to be in a place like Seattle or Portland. Yeah, where all the sinners are. That's right. And like you. Did you go knocking on doors and stuff when you were in that college? Well, not when I was in Bible college, but later when I was a pastor there, we used to go around and hang flyers on doors and, you know, knock on doors in our neighborhood, try to get people to come to our church, you know, and all that. So we were very, very active in sort of our community. We started an after school youth program, try to bring kids in off the streets and bring their parents in, you know, so we were trying to do things to to evangelize our neighborhood. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unlike you, I was not raised in that, thankfully. Lucky my for parents, you. You know, my family was Jewish, but my parents kind of laughed at it. So I did not have religious indoctrination, which I thank my parents for every day. Yeah, and, you are um, fortunate. I am fortunate. You really are. It's no joke. <laughs> yeah. and I think I've got a religious why... trauma, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I feel your trauma, you know, I, yeah. and that's why I do this work. And I think I was always really interested in religion because it wasn't shoved down my throat. Mm. And I actually, when I was 16, bought a Bible at a thrift shop and started reading it because I never heard any of it. This, mm. I, this is a it's all fresh. Story. Yeah. And I knew even at 16, just reading Genesis is like, well, this isn't supposed to be literal i don't think i knew the word literal at the time but you know what i real history yeah i knew it was and i said oh wait a minute you're supposed to read between the lines you're not supposed to just take this as it's written i knew that when i was 16 it was never shoved down my throat and i have a funny story on that my first introduction to jesus i was seven years old i remember this and my sister remembers it too we were watching tv and it was probably easter sunday because one of those old Hollywood Jesus movies was on. Mm-hmm. 
And I was seven years old watching this, and it had the crucifixion scene, and they were showing the nails being nailed into his hands. And I was freaked out. I had never heard of this. And I went running into my mother's room. She remembers this too. And I was crying. And I said, I saw this movie. They were putting nails in this guy's hands. <laughs> and she said, Oh, don't worry about that. We're Jewish. That has nothing to do with us. <laughs> oh, and lucky that was, you. That was the first time I ever heard the Jesus story. Wow. Was, Especially growing up in America, too. I know. Pretty pretty weird, huh? Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> Bibles everywhere, churches on every street corner. That's the thing. I've, I've mentioned this before. Every time I go back to the States, just driving around whatever city I'm in, I'm, I'm stunned by how many churches there are physically on each street corner. You know, over here in the UK, we we have churches, but most of them are quite old. You know, there's a church in our village that's probably, you know, 150, 200 years old. There's only two churches. There's a Catholic church and this Anglican church, and that's it. Drives my girlfriend crazy because the Anglican church is the old one. They play the bells for like hours on a Sunday night. You know, it's like, I kind of like it because it's a, it's a historic thing, you know, I but like she too, yeah. drives her crazy. But yeah, I, when she hears the bells, she's like, oh my God, stop with the bells already, you know? <laughs> But that's as annoying as it gets. Church, I can deal with church bells. Yeah, that's not too bad, you know, but there's people yeah. who've got trauma about church bells, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Calling the faithful to service. G'day, I'm Troy. And I'm Brian. And we're the hosts of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, an ex-evangelical podcast. We used to be loyal members and leaders in Australian Christian megachurches, but we're not anymore. I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist is an honest and hilarious peek behind the curtain at the weird, the worrying, and sometimes traumatic world of evangelicals and Pentecostals. We share our stories, we interview prominent guests in the global evangelical space, and provide a platform for others to tell their stories about their time in evangelicalism and their journey out. Shortlisted at the recent Australian Podcast Awards, I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist gives you a unique global perspective into one of the fastest growing religions in the world from the people who actually lived it. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and IWasAteenageFundamentalist.com. When we come back from the break in the second half with Terry, we're going to talk about this issue of prayer. How important is prayer, not just to evangelicals, but indeed to adherents of all religions? It's a huge thing, and I can remember as an evangelical, it was a major, major part of my life as a Christian. I remember spending hours and hours and hours in prayer to God, begging for results and trying to find them. So Terry and I are going to get into that topic as we finish the second half of this conversation. But before we do that, I wanted to mention what's coming up here on the next few episodes of Mindship Podcast. Coming up next is that very long episode I'm going to do on Doug Wilson and Stephen Wilkins' book, Southern Slavery As It Was. This is something I've been talking about doing for a long time, and I've finally gotten it all together. It's a massive deep dive, and it's not just about the book. It's really the historical context behind slavery, the lost cause mythology, the theological war thesis. And if you don't know what all those things are about, then you're going to love this episode, especially if you're like me, you're really into history. So that one's coming up next. Then I've got Don McCarty. We had a chat the other day, just an unbelievable story, surviving not just a horrifically abusive background growing up, but then also tack on the Mormon faith that she was also forced to be a part of as a young girl and then a teenager and then surviving all that. It's just absolutely an unbelievable story. And then speaking of survivors, I've got a conversation book with Emily Dye, 
she survived growing up in a Doug Wilson-inspired classical Christian school environment. She's an abuse survivor. She's got just an incredible story to tell. And I'm really looking forward to talking to Emily. So that's coming up soon. So really fantastic stuff coming up. And also speaking of great content, I've been working really hard putting out every other week in between my normal episodes. I'm releasing a Patreon-only exclusive episode on something that's of interest to me. I just did one the other week sharing a story about a woman who describes the day she lost her faith. I've done ones on Mark Driscoll, the cult leader, Dominion Theology, and I'm doing one now on Christian nationalism. So there's some really good stuff coming down the pipeline. These are all benefits that you get for being a Patreon supporter of the show. In addition to getting access to our closed MindShift Zoom calls, we'll be resuming those in the month of September. We're taking the summer off now, but all the ones that I've done since January of 2023, they're all available to watch on Patreon, so you can still get access to those great calls we do with returning guests of the show, and I'm working to get Vinny Kosha's back in September, so I'm really looking forward to starting those up again. And of course, these are the benefits that you get for being a Patreon supporter of the show. All right, let's get on back into the second half of this chat with Dr. Terry Daniel, previewing the upcoming conference on death, grief, and belief, which will start in July also, pay attention because Terry is going to give you a discount code. So if you want to attend this conference, which is only available online, listen very carefully as she talks about how you can get a discount. So let's get back into the chat with my good friend, Dr. Terry Daniel. Well, you mentioned another thing. We were talking about this before we hit record. You wrote an article not long ago on prayer which I thought was really fascinating because when I was an evangelical, prayer was a huge part of my whole sort of theological worldview. I used to go to these conferences where the basic philosophy of ministry was you grew your church by spending huge amounts of time in prayer, you know, and you that sort of fueled the growth of the church. And it was all based on a couple of different preachers that grew their churches by spending huge amounts of time in prayer and all the rest of it. And then, of course, that relates to grief and, and death, doesn't it? Because when you're got a loved one who's dying, you pray, and you have prayer chains and all these things, and then the person dies anyway. What's the explanation? You must have something to say about that as well. Oh, my goodness. I see this all the time. Hmm. A, a pediatrician friend of mine told me this story, and, and maybe I've told you this before. He had a two-year-old in the hospital dying of brain cancer. The kid was on life support, on a ventilator, essentially dead, but artificial breathing. And the parents were Pentecostal, and they were praying, and they had the prayer chain, and everybody praying, praying, praying for this kid to recover, which in itself is bizarre. But the pediatrician said, you know, he's not going to recover. And what we need to do now is have a conversation about end of life, taking him off the respirator, because I mean, a ventilator, you will, a ventilator cannot keep you alive forever. Eventually, you will die even with a ventilator stuck into your lungs because the body just can't do it anymore. And the parents said, no, we can't talk about that. We can't even think about that because we are praying for him to live. Mm -hmm. And if we have a conversation with you about making end-of-life plans, God will hear us and will know that we've dropped our faith, that our faith wasn't strong enough. We are going to pray until the end. So the they bitter kept end. The, kid, the bitter end. And they kept the kid on the ventilator how more days or weeks or however. Of course, he died. And, you know, there was no follow-up with that family that I was part of. But basically what happens is they go home and they're like, why did God not hear us? And the conclusion is because at the very root of the theology 
is we're scum and we're evil. So God didn't hear us because we're not good enough. Our prayers were not strong enough or God's mad at us or there's some, like you said, some hidden sin somewhere. I had a woman come up to me once and say, told me that all four of her children had died over a 25-year period. Uh. Like one when they were a baby, another one got hit by a car when they were 10, another one went to war and died, another one in a motorcycle accident. And she said, I was a good Christian. I was a good person. I went to church. I tithed. I did everything. And why would God do this to me and take Uh all four of my children? Why not just one? Why all four of them? What did I do wrong? And she was spending all her time wondering what she did wrong, trying to find that answer. And she wasn't able to focus on the grief process. She wasn't able to just be with her pain and do the work. And what I said to her is, there's no answer to that question. You know, if you think you did something wrong, why would God do this? Let's go back to tell me what you think God is. And that's the conversation that you have with people in that place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, get them to unpack their own theology. And if it turns out that they think God is a protective mother hen or a parent figure, and what does a parent do? It protects and punishes. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, if you just accept that, Punishment, your parent punishes you when you do something wrong. Yeah, this so, woman didn't yeah. do anything wrong. That's the, that's the problem. And most evangelicals, I've, I was convinced, uh, have a reward and punishment theology. That's the basic system. You know, That's what Job had. Job had yeah. a reward and punishment theology whereby he argued, as long as I keep doing good things and sacrificing you know, to God and, and observing all the rituals and everything, I will be blessed. And he was. And the problem was he got screwed over. And he was doing everything right. That's why his faith sort of fell apart because he didn't deserve it. In that system, he did not deserve it. And I could I could tell you story after story. I've seen it happen as a pastor. When I was a pastor, I watched it when my ex-wife's father died about five years ago now in the Seattle area. And all the evangelicals around him were all praying, like you said, desperately prayer chains. He had a brain tumor. He ended up dying anyway. But all the explanations that were offered up, I just sat back and marveled, you know, at all the explanations. And at no point, no one said, you know what? This is bullshit. God is cruel and mean and and he's a bastard. I'm out of this thing. No, they were like, no, there's got to be a reason. The ultimate ace card is we're going to find out someday in heaven. We don't know the answer, but we'll find out in heaven. You can't answer that one. You can't argue with that one, can you? And that's by design. And that, you know, to come up with a system... That you can't find out the answer till you're dead is a, a real flaw in the system. It's yeah, like, that's a flaw. It's by design. Like, we can't give you an answer. You'll have to wait until you're dead where nobody can tell <laughs> us what they found out when they're dead. So it's 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 just a dead that's end. A screwed up system. And, you know, it's not somebody speaking up and saying, this is bullshit. God is a mean bastard. It's really, it's not that because... That again is still has the anthropomorphic humanized God. He's a mean bastard. Mm-hmm. The real thing is this is bullshit because there is no God like that. There is no structure like that. It's you know the the structure is wrong. The theology is wrong. It's not that God is good or bad. It's there is no such thing as that kind of mm-hmm. God. Freud said that we created this God in the image of parents, but. Mm-hmm. 
everybody around the world in every culture has parents and not every culture has that kind of God. So that's true. That throws Freud's theory kind of out. <laughs> yeah. But it is, we do, I guess you could say maybe we create God in our image, you know, capricious and whatever. It's, he's got all the human characteristics. I mean, look at the Greek pantheon, the Roman gods. They're very much like humans, only to greater degree, to greater extent, aren't they? They're you know, exactly so, like yeah, they do think they're petty, they're jealous, they're angry, they take revenge on people and do horrible, cruel things. And sometimes they're kind and gentle and loving, but yet so is the God of the Bible. Well, you know, I have a good friend, one of my hospice chaplain colleagues, who's a rabbi, and we are argue about this all the time. She says that too. Oh, the Hebrew Bible is full of love and compassion. And I'm like, <laughs> what Bible <"Where?"> are you reading? <laughs> yeah, what Bible are you having a hard time finding it? <laughs> that, and that's kind of the Jewish apologetics, right? And and I think what they're really talking about is, well, God loves this tribe so much uh, that chosen single- people. The chosen people that he singled them out to have dominion and riches and land and progeny. And that's the love I think she's talking about. I don't mm. really know. But even then, the Old Testament is all set up on a conditional covenant. You know, this yeah. is the thing I studied Old Testament theology. That was my big sort of area. And it's clearly a conditional covenant, isn't it? As long as you obey, the children of Israel were told, you obey the terms of the covenant, you are obedient to Yahweh, you will be blessed. The second you disobey and start to slip away from the terms of the covenant, God will punish you. That is very clear all through Deuteronomy and Leviticus and books like that. It's a conditional covenant. And I think a lot of Christians, they they have that. Like I said before, it's a reward and punishment theology. If you're good, you'll be blessed. If you're not, you'll be punished. And th- that makes sense on a lot of levels. It's just when you're good and then suffering comes into your life, that doesn't make sense. Or here's the other thing. You can never be obedient enough. Yeah, yeah, that's God the keeps, flip side. God keeps raising the bar. Yeah, it's moving you know, the goalposts. Yeah, moving the goalposts. It's, it's gaslighting. It's like the worst really kind of psychological damaging. So it's like if if the coach says, you know, do 25 push-ups, and then you do 25 push-ups, and the coach says, well, I really meant 35. <laughs> Did I say 25? Did I say 25? I didn't I say meant 35. 35. Where do, you didn't hear that, right? It's like what Trump does, right? Yep. It's, it's totally gaslighting. And so the the punishment and reward is obedience is never attainable mm. because God is lying. Right. Basically. True righteousness. Yeah. What is it? If Job wasn't a righteous man, who could, who could be? Yeah. You know? And that's it, isn't it? That's the mind fuck of the whole thing is that Job did everything right and yet lost it all. And yet he never lost his faith. You know, that's the, that's the rub. And he got everything right. back times too. I mean, it's such a, there's so many twists and turns in that book. And, you know, is that the reward? You know, you're going to suffer for most of your life and everyone you love is going to die and everything's, and then you get it back. I don't think anybody wants that. That's not a reward. Yeah. And most of us don't get double back. I mean, in the case of my ex-wife, her dad died. Then about 14 months later, her mom died. Suddenly, tragically, you know, right on the verge of them going, they were on, they were going to go on a cruise, uh, three weeks from them going on a cruise. She was going to fly to Seattle. They were going to get on a ship and go on this wonderful cruise, the two of them, and bam, she died of a heart attack. I mean, how cruel is that? So if that's God behind the whole thing, that's ultimately the cruelest, most vengeful God, you know? And luckily, in our case, we weren't religious, so we could assess it from just, hey, you know, shit happens. People die. You know, people have heart attacks when they're in their late 70s and 80s. Yeah. 
and and you know this is what buddhism gets right buddhism basically says shit happens so live your life prepared for shit to happen that's yeah. all really buddhism says and it says like you know love all the people and the things and the ha- that you have in life but know that they can go away at any moment and so love them lightly you know don't hold with a white knuckle grip and live your life you know that's what they call non-attachment which is different than detachment hmm. you know detachment means you don't really feel anything but non-attachment says yeah i love my husband and my kids and my job and my money and my health and all the mm-hmm. things that i have but when it goes away and it will you can let it go you can just understand like yeah everything slips through your fingers what's wrong with that and yet when the west we have it so backwards don't we because i mean i was watching something the other day it's you've heard this before you know the the common things that people say on their deathbed i'm sure you probably heard this you know i wish i hadn't spent so much time at work i wish i had spent more time with my friends and family and loved ones i I should have gone the places I wanted to go. I wanted to see these wonderful places, and I never did. I said, we'll do it next year. We'll do it next year. And then it never happened. Now here I am on my deathbed filled with all these regrets. You know, that's not the way to live your life, is it? But a lot of people do. Yeah, and some regrets, you can fix things. Like I have, you know, I'm 70 now. I'm getting old, and I have regrets, but they're things that I can't fix. You know, I have regrets mm-hmm. about stupid shit I've done you know, when I was young and in relationships and I wish I hadn't made that choice or that decision. Can't undo that. But regrets like I never traveled, you know, I can do that right now. Yes, you can. You could come to North Wales. Well, that's where I want to go, actually. My travel fantasy. (laughs) Well, there you go. Scotland. So I'm like right there. Yeah. Just keep going north and you're you're there. I'm working on it. Okay, good. Well, that's good. Listen, we need to wrap this up. I know we've got more we could talk about, but I want people to go to this conference. How can they find out more information about it? Luckily, they've got time to book tickets and get it all set up. Can you give us some information about it? It's really easy. Just go to deathgriefandbelief.com and you'll find everything there. You'll find just, you can email me and I'll send you some articles and some interesting stuff. So make it easy, deathgriefandbelief.com. The conference is July 8th and 9th, 2023. And here's a discount code for your audience. DGB, Death, Grief, Belief, 50, will give you $50 off. And wow. it's the, the admission is only 159 So that's like a third off. So I That is I'm, a good deal. I hope I'm right about that. <laughs> I'm not looking at it. I think it's something. Hope we're not losing money, Terry. I know I'm not going to lose money, but uh, I want to give everybody in in this community a big discount. So DGB fifty. Yes, at least you're not spending sixty grand on hotel catering this time around. I mean, it's going to be a lot easier for people to attend. Obviously, from all over the world, they can dive in, or at least get access to the calls after the sessions. Obviously, because you must be recording all of them. So even if they can't make it because they live in South Africa or wherever it is, or Australia, if it's the middle of the night there. They can still catch the conference uh, episodes, can't they? Absolutely. Everything over. If you register for the conference, you will get a link to all the recordings and you can listen to them forever as long as YouTube exists. Mm. It's not going away anytime soon, probably. Who knows? Who knows? But then <laughs> everything, other... everything is going away sometime. That's true. <laughs> then the other question I have before I let you go, how can people find you in terms of social media? What's the best place to find you? Again, I would just stick with deathgriefandbelief.com. That's, hmm. yeah, for this for this audience, find me there. And, That's the first um, port of call. Yeah, the, you, all your socials are on there anyway, aren't they? 
Yeah. And there's also a Facebook group called Death, Grief and Belief. So come and join our Facebook group. I also have a Facebook group called Chaplains Outside the Box. And that's for people who work as hospital or hospice or military or police chaplains who are not traditionally religious. So we've got atheists and pagans and Buddhists and all kinds of outside the box chaplains on there. And it's really, it's a professional group where we talk about things like, what do you do if your hospice patient wants you to give them the Eucharist? Mm. And you're a pagan or an atheist and you've never done that before. What do you do? Yeah. So like, that's kind of solution. Yeah. It, we, you know, and basically the answer to that is just make something up. <laughs> <laughs> Blag your way through it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not just there. Yeah, it's just you're giving them some kind of blessing from your heart to theirs. And you say, in my, you know, I'm not Catholic or Christian, so I don't really know how to do this. But, you know, let me just hold your hand and guide you into your center where you can feel your heart and feel the love of Jesus or whatever. And you just, we, we wing it. Yeah. And it all counts. It's all good. It all works. Yeah. It's just yeah, having it someone there, isn't it? Yeah. Listen, Terry, thank you so much. I wish you all the best with your upcoming conference. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the recordings from the sessions. So send me the links when you get them up, and I'll promote it as much as I can. Thank you so much. Okay, my friend. Thank you, and thank you to all your wonderful listeners, and I really love your Facebook page. Thank you. I'm so glad to see you. Thank you. Take care. Speak to you soon. 